you're not out for lunch. So when you, if you want to do something, like one time I had this, uh, this woman in America, and I used to go to a coffee shop. We had a meeting nearby. She's very beautiful, and she used to serve us coffee. And I, I wanted to get to know her, you know. And then I found out she was married, so I didn't pursue it. Then about a year later, I ran into her on the streets, and she told me that she wasn't married anymore. So I said, oh, great. So I decided, I asked her out. And my roommate met her, and he says, you know, that girl's trouble, bro. You know, not a good idea. And other people who met her said, no, I don't know, Paul. May not be good. So then I did an inventory on, about her. Yeah? 45 minutes, I wrote all my little resentments and fears. And the inventory basically, see, an inventory is great because it's not going to give you your solution. Yeah? If you write it the four columns, it's going to produce a solution, but it's not yours. <laughs> it's, a very good, it's a very good process because it will basically give you an indication. No, you shouldn't go that way. So I saw the indication. He said, don't go that way, but I went that way anyway. Yeah? And what happened was, that night, I found myself in a Brazilian dance club, because she was a Brazilian dancer. And I was in the dance club. Everyone was standing around, drinking beers around me. Her ex-husband was at the bar, who she was still living with. And actually, her boyfriend was standing about three people next to me. I was like number three on the total, on the poll, you know, on the chart. <laughs> and I said to myself, what the fuck am I doing here? So, but I was accountable and the shit hit the fan, big time, big, big, big time. So, once consciousness occurs and you're awake somewhat, another aspect is that you become accountable. So, the idea of blaming people gets dismissed. You just own it. You go, all right, I want to go this way. I know better, but I'm going to do it. And then when the shit hits the fan, then you just deal with it. Make the amends where you have to do it and go on. Hopefully you learn. So, all right, well. So in this, in the book, we'll read that thing. I think it was on page, I'll say it and maybe you'll get it better in uh, Swedish. But it says, uh, being convinced, which means to believe with certainty, yeah? to really know in your gut that something. And it says, being convinced that self manifested in various ways. So the word manifested in America means appears, yes? So self appears in many ways. So being convinced that self manifested in many ways is what has defeated us. Yeah? So what he's saying there, Bill W., it's, it's separating self and us. It says, being convinced that self manifested in a lot of different ways, yeah, defeated us. Now, my experience, how self defeated me, was I was identified as it. Yeah? I don't believe, in AA they say the root of the problem is obsession with self, you know, like constantly thinking about self. I don't believe that to be the case. I believe... Like in AA in America, we say, you've got to be willing to save your ass instead of your face. So your face would be your idea of self, yeah? And your ass is what you really are. When I came in the program, I thought my face was my ass. Yeah? I was identified as self, and that's what I was living for, self. And that's what defeated me. And when you're identified as self, the mind that is identified as self obsesses over it 
because it has to the bonding to self is an unnatural fit it's sort of like putting this and this together yeah so there's self and us and we're bound it says in the program please relieve me of this bondage to self so there's a bondage to self so for something like this to be bonded I have to have like a glue yeah a pretty good glue to stick paper to this that's the obsession with self. So the identification as self is the mistake, and the mistake gets, let's say, reinforced every day by the mind obsessing over you, the idea of being you. Yeah, you're like they say, you're not much, but you're all that you think about. Yeah, it's sort of like that. So the idea of self has all these thoughts around it, which is the obsession. Without the obsession every day the identification or the bondage to self would break because it's not a natural fit. So the glue, the daily glue to keep it bound is the thoughts that are portraying life as a self. You You think everything's happening to you as this body. And in that identification, then everything that appears, be it a body, thoughts, feelings, this mental process, this I call it selfing, I don't think there is a self, it's made up. So the mind, the mental process is doing this verb, selfing. Stinking and interpreting life from the point of view of being a self. You see this is real, therefore the world is real. The world is as real as you think you are. Like I had this example when I was younger, I had an uncle who used to give me money at relatives' parties, yeah, Uncle Fred. I really liked him because he basically paid me off. He gave me money, and I thought, Uncle Fred, I love seeing Uncle Fred. And then I was, he died when I was nine years old. And my mother took me to the funeral. And at this funeral, they have an open casket, and she walked me to say goodbye to Uncle Fred, yeah. And when I looked in, I had a very strong hit or a very strong realization, that is an Uncle Fred. I saw the body, but without the uh, life or the animating principle, it didn't hit me as Uncle Fred. And in, later in life, I realized the reason why I thought the body was Uncle Fred was because I was thinking I was the body. Yeah? I thought Paul was this, and so therefore, obviously, I thought the spirit that was living through Paul what? was the body, I thought the spirit that was living through that body was Uncle Fred, the body, but it wasn't. It, yeah? Because now something had, was missing and it was obvious it wasn't Uncle Fred. Yeah? So this idea of being this feeling of being a long-lasting, independent, separate entity is what I call the identification of self. And the first thing it does It's a mental process, yeah? The mind is making up a sense of being a self. You didn't didn't have a sense of being a self when you were born for the first year or two. You had no idea of Paul or anything or mother or anything different. It's already been proven to at least about a year and a half. You didn't see mother as separate. It was just, you were just conscious, yeah? Then this idea, this mental process started... And the mind informed us that, hey, I know who you are. You're this body called Paul. You come from Daniel and Mary, Hedeman. 
and you've got these brothers and sisters that you hate, and all this, and the story starts, yeah? Now, that to me is the self thing, yeah? And what it does is, as soon as it arises, it claims everything. So, instead of a body, it's my body, yeah? Instead of thoughts, they're my thoughts. Feelings, my feelings. Time, my time. Life, my life. Problems, my problems. Girlfriend, my girlfriend. Everything is great when it's just a girlfriend. As soon as it becomes my girlfriend, you know, stalking charges happen. You get arrested for parking outside her house eight hours at night. So, so this sense of my. So, now here's a thought, let's say. A thought happens in our head. Most people believe they're the thinker of the thought. Don't you? When a thought is seen... Isn't there a feeling you're the thinker of it? I'm thinking. Yeah? Now, if you if you were really were thinking it, you could probably not think, yeah? Why don't we try it right now? Stop thinking. <laughs> you can't stop it because you never started it really. There's just thinking. It's sort of like this is like a popcorn maker. And when it meets outside stimuli, thoughts pop up. And then you're, you see them, because you're conscious. You're aware. So whatever arises, you see. And thoughts arise, and you see them. Now, when that seeing occurs, the mind goes, I'm seeing. Yeah? I'm this is seeing. Not just seeing, I'm seeing. And as soon as it says, I'm seeing... It believes either I'm the thinker of it, or they're about me, or both. So, most thoughts are about self. They're not about us. You can't think about spirit. It's impossible. You can't capture it in thought. So, you can't think about it. You can think about a body all day. Usually you do, don't you? Yours, or something, you, maybe a woman or a guy you want to meet. But, so here's this thing. Thoughts are happening. But the way I see the thought is, I'm thinking them, or they're about me. Yeah? Now, the thoughts have no ability to capture you, really. You can tell, like, if you shared your thoughts with me, yeah, I'd be bored maybe in the minute. Yeah? I'd say, Jesus Christ, fucking let me do laundry or something, let me get out of here. But the same thoughts I'm having, I'm very, very interested in. Yeah? Why is that? What's the difference? Thoughts are arising, and he's seeing them, yeah? Or whatever, that's being seen. And these thoughts are arising and being seen. I have immunity to your thoughts, but I'm totally bonded to my thoughts. So I wouldn't think, it's not thoughts that are doing anything to us, it's the my, M-Y. In in English, that means that's the act of identifying, or having, or owning, yeah? So as soon as the mind owns a thought, it creates a bondage to it. So if you come over my house, literally, and you start what I would call selfing, you know, I'd want to do something very quickly to get rid of you. Yeah, I said, Jesus Christ, I've heard this a million times. But I'll be thinking the same thoughts, and I'm very interested in them. I can't wait for you to leave so I can get into them even more. This is a great idea I'm having. I just told you you're insane with the same idea, but I'm thinking, this is a great idea for me. That my is what's causing you to suffer. It's not a feeling. It's your feelings. It's not a thought. It's your thoughts. Yeah? It's not a problem. It's your problems. 
It's not a body, it's your body. It's the act of identifying which is what causes us to suffer. And us, alcoholics, we're an extreme example of self-centeredness. So let's say we're all wearing a helmet. Everyone here is wearing a big helmet called self-centered. Everyone's living in this little bubble of what's not happening all day. (laughs) Yeah, you're thinking about next Friday. You're worried about last Wednesday. You're wondering what's going to happen to you. She's wondering what's going to happen to him. Yes, on and on. But never really right now. So we're in this little thing called self-centeredness. And alcoholism is just an extreme like subdivision of it. We're more, ex- we're more concerned with self than normal other people. That's not like they're not concerned with self. They're constantly concerned with self, but we're extremely concerned with self. Yeah? And the relief is not in trying to manage thought better, I found. It's really, to me, recognizing I'm not that thought called self. Because if I'm not, it's like, if I'm sitting here, and there's someone I'm interested in, some woman, and she's in the other room, and I'm listening, trying to hear what she's talking about, because I'm hoping she's going to say something to her friends about me, and then if I, she says, oh, I think I like that guy, then I'll ask her, you know, I don't want to, I definitely don't want to get rejected, so I want to sort of hedge my bet, so to speak. So I'm sitting here, and I'm at a meeting, I'm supposed to be doing this, but my interest is trying to listen to this thing. What's she saying? Um, oh, yeah, Paul, come back to the room. Oh, yeah, I'll be right there. I'm just gonna, hey, this is stupid what you're doing. I know, but I can't help myself. People will drag my shoulder. No, no, I can't wait. What's happening? I, it's, it's just all my interest is going in that room. Then I hear her, and she's talking about Mott. Mott, <laughs> my name's Paul. As soon as I hear that, I lose interest immediately. Yeah. I don't have to take three months of workshops to lose interest in a conversation in another room. As, long, as soon as I entertain, it's not about me, I lose interest. That's exactly what's happened in your head. If you can entertain, I'm not that, the center of your thought system, which is a self, you'll lose interest in it. In other words, your interest won't be so interested in the obsession because you'll realize the mind's not obsessed over you, it's obsessed over self. And you are not that. So your interest and attention can get freed from that, and you can't lose, there's a lot of attention and a lot of interest. You just lose it in the thing. You don't lose interest. Once it gets reclaimed, that interest and attention can now be spent now. Yeah? And it actually has an incredible like um, it will serve you so much better when it's let off the leash of self-centeredness. Seriously. Because the interest and attention will be distributed in such a way, instead of being obsessed in this black hole of you, it may go to others. Like it says in recovery, it says you'll lose interest in yourself and gain interest in others. Yes? You cannot practice that. that that's, a, that's a byproduct of a spiritual awakening. Yeah? That's what they're describing. If you rely on something greater than self, and to me, a great reliance on something greater than self is the realization I'm not self. Yeah? Because right now, we're relying on something that's unreliable. That's what it says in the book. It says, why are you in so much fear right now? And then he has a period, and he doesn't let you answer, which is a really good move. 
because it would be a giant story, you know. Yes, I'm in fear because I'm not. No, he says, isn't it because self-reliance has failed us? So we have we are examples of a system in action here. We have been relying on something that's unreliable, and our lives show it. Yeah. How do you think you'd feel if? all your bets were placed on something that wasn't reliable, you'd be afraid, usually, that things may not go your way. Why? Because they haven't. Many times. So, you can't change. It's like that old story about a snake and the lady uh, saves a snake and takes it home and cleans it and feeds it and puts it in a little shoebox and gets a little, like, baby thing and da-da-da and takes care of it for a couple of days, and then it's starting to feel better, the snake, and then she picks it up. Oh, I've saved you my snake, and the snake bites her. And she's really indignant. She says, I can't believe you bit me. I've saved your life. I've been feeding you, and I'm clothing you. And he says, hey, I'm a snake. <laughs> that's what snakes do. You can't expect something that's unreliable to be reliable. You can't keep going back to a well that has no water. You can but then all you do is every time you put the pail in and no water comes up, you have to make a story why there's no water. You've got to blame others or blame yourself or blame life or God. There's no water in my pail. These people have gotten water. No, they haven't. It's a dry well. So what we've done in AA is we admit, we tell the truth about that. We have been relying on something unreliable and we get to that point where it says perhaps there's a better way. Hopefully you're keen on it. You go, yeah, what is it? They say, well, it's trusting something infinite rather than finite self. That's the solution in AA. Trusting something infinite rather than finite self. Because everyone in this room, we have tons of faith. You don't need any more faith. You just need to put the faith in a different vehicle. We've had total faith in self. We have. We've listened to every one of those thoughts like they were from the Greek oracle, right? <laughs> this is a great idea, you know? Have you ever got the idea, I'm going to run from the cops, but you're in an alley? You know? <laughs> i had that many times. Oh, yeah, I'm going to run down this. Oh, it's an alley. <laughs> this is the... Re- <laughs> I'll give you a really good example of that state of relying on something that's unreliable. Back in America, I had a court date, yes, go to court. It was October 10th, and around October 4th, I get worried, there, you know, because my idea of going to court, I had it connected with going to jail, yeah, and I was afraid to go to jail. So the court, the court date that was looming was threatening, creating a lot of anxiety, because I thought, if I go to court, I may go to jail, because that's happened many times before. <laughs> so I don't want to go to jail, so I went back into my head. I said, oh, great one. Tell me what I should do. And it said, just don't go to court. Oh, thank you. And that fear, I was relieved of the anxiety. Like that. It just disappeared. And then the court date came. And I was sitting there drinking beer. And I was worrying, thinking about all those people sweating it out in court. And I had won. My solution had worked. Yeah. day or two later, I'm driving my girlfriend's car. And the police pulled me over. Uh, and they come to the car and they ask, and there's, I had a broken tail light, you know, very small infraction. So they go, uh, 
they ask me for my registration and license, and I give it to them. And he goes back into the car, and they, he sat in that car for 20 minutes. I don't know what they do, but they're in there. He comes back, and in America, if you hear this line, it's not a good line to hear. And that is, Mr. Hedeman, will you please step out of the car? That usually implies you're going to jail. Now I flip out. How can I be going to jail for a freaking broken taillight? He says, no, you're not going to jail for that. There's been a bench warrant issued for your arrest. I said, why? He says, well, you missed a court date a couple of days ago. <laughs> so now, following this thing that I, you know, that's totally unreliable, the dilemma was I was afraid I'd go to jail if I went to the court date. Now, following its directions, I'm in jail, and I have two court dates now. That's what it was like, living underneath that. Yeah? That was just one event in one day, one week, one month of years of my life relying on self, producing an incredible amount of unreliability. Yeah? And of course, So you're in this loop. They talk about it in the fear inventory. It says, all right, you make decisions based out of fear. Yeah? Sets off trains of circumstances that bring us misfortune we feel we don't deserve. When I have misfortune I feel I don't deserve, I get resentful. Yeah? Shit's bothering me, and I don't think I deserve it. So I say, you, somebody's doing it to me. Yeah? That loop... There's no solution in that resentment, yeah? I make another decision based in fear. More trains of circumstances, more misfortune, more resentment, more anxiety, more decisions based in fear, more trains of circumstances. And to me, this was the spiraling down to the bottom, yeah? Everyone, no matter what their story is, if you look at the blueprint, it's just that. They're, they're perceiving, they're taking false evidence as appearing real, Decisions are being made based on that. It's setting off trains of circumstances. It brings you misfortune. You're in this loop. What are you going to do? You want relief. You get loaded. To get a little relief produces even more bad effects, and so on and so forth. Yeah? And it doesn't seem to be any solution, because the only solution you go to is unreliable. Every time you go, and you go into your innermost self to get some good advice, you come out with a bad decision more trains of circumstances. So AA for me is, I walked in, and the first thing I did is I listened to the meeting, and they said, come back. So I said, okay, I hope you're right. I will. They said, yeah, sit in the front. It'll help you stay sober. I said, okay, I hope you're right. I'll do that. And they said, get a commitment. I said, okay, I hope you're right. They said, get a sponsor. I said, no, I don't think I want to do that now. I said, all right, just keep coming back. So I made a decision based on hope, literally. Yeah? That set off trains of circumstances that started to bring me fortune I felt I didn't deserve. Now, when I have fortune that I feel I don't deserve, something happens that I hadn't had in a long time. A feeling of gratitude arises. I feel thankful to something, and that something was AA. Yeah? So what happened is that motivated me to make another decision on hope. But see, AA delivers the goods, so the hope turned into belief. So I came to believe, which to me is a, pro is a processional step. 
It's not something you do. You just tell the truth about after you followed some suggestions, you'll see that you're getting restored to sanity. So you come to believe that something can restore you to sanity because you're getting restored to sanity. It's not a big leap. You just see the evidence. I'm not in jail this week. I've got a place to sleep. I've got a job now. Yeah, something's working in my life that wasn't working like three weeks before. So I started to come to believe. So now I'm making decisions out of these beliefs. Trains of circumstances are happening. But sometimes life brings me misfortune, which it does. But now I can see the fortune in it. Yeah, I have these new pair of glasses that AA is providing me. I can now see the fortune in misfortune because the misfortune, if I walk through it, will be available and helpful to others in my community. And then I can really have gratitude for the fortune. Where before, I would see the misfortune in fortune up there. I saw people who wanted to help me as enemies and threats. So now I'm making decisions based out of this, not on self, that are producing these circumstances. And then it turns into faith. And faith, to me, isn't getting a parking space next week at the meeting. Though that may happen, yeah? Faith, to me, translates as an ease and comfort in my own skin now. Hmm, It's pretty nice, yeah? (laughs) And the faith that you have right now, if it's in reliance on self, it's it's what's producing the anxiety that you're living under. As Jesus said in the Bible, it's done according to your belief. So if you have faith in the thoughts that are running in your head, they're going to produce anxiety. That faith. The same faith, if surrendered to that thing that trusting something infinite, will produce an ease and comfort. It's the exact same energy. It's just what vehicle is put in. AA is just a bridge so that we can allow the removal of our faith from that vehicle that's unreliable and put it into something that's reliable. And after a period of time, you'll be able to see blue is blue and red is red. You'll know what's working and you won't know and you'll know what's not working. You'll start having feelings that aren't based on false evidence. You'll actually have the right feeling appropriate to the situation you're in. (laughs) Which is an incredible sense of balance. (laughs) Because most of us, when you're in your head, you're living in what's not happening yet. And in what's not happening, anything can happen. So I can have cancer next Friday. Yeah. I can be destitute tomorrow. I can my girlfriend can be planning on sleeping with my best friend next Friday. Yeah. So I have to have like a preemptive resentment and, and attack them tonight or whatever. My head will produce false evidence. But that will appear real to me if my faith is in what? Self. Because it is false evidence. But how does it appear real? It appearing real is based on you. It's not based on the evidence because it's false. It's based on you. If you're relying on self, false evidence will appear real. I'll be more concerned with what's not happening than I will with what's happening. I will be, my engagement with what's not happening will actually override what's happening. I can be really healthy right now, but I won't be enjoying that because I'll be worried I'll have cancer next week. 
Yeah. I'll be having a great day, but I can't enjoy the great day because I believe it's not going to last because they know tomorrow's going to suck. So what's not happening creates, it's like, it's like a, it doesn't exist, yeah? I mean, next Friday does not exist. I don't, you cannot bring it here today. Today's what, Monday? I'd like to see you bring next Friday here. Come on, bring. You can only visit it with thought, yeah? You can't taste it, touch it, yeah? You can't touch but you can think about it. You don't think about it. The mind thinks about it, yeah? But you can get consumed with it, not because it's so interesting next Friday, but it's interesting to you. See, the you is the dilemma. See? Because next Friday doesn't exist, but you believe you do. So because you believe you do as a self, you believe next Friday definitely does, and it's going to have effect on you. And you're very, very interested in that. Yeah? But the greatest effect is happening right now, and your mind's not interested in it at all. So, here it goes. My head goes into what's not happening. And it produces a product yeah, called anxiety, mental anxiety. And now it, it trucks in or it delivers that product just through thought. It doesn't, can't, there's no, you can't go to a field and get a crate of, you know, bananas. Because there's no bananas and there's no tree. So you go, your vehicles, this thought... You go there and you bring back this product of terrible things are going to happen to me next week. And then you download it and you feel the effects of your meaning you've given next week. Now, so you can be in anxiety, yet there's no threat in the room. Now, if you, know, if you start recognizing that you're in a lot of anxiety now and yet there's no threat in the room, then you're basically... Up self's ass, really. You're up into the ass of self, just in that mental realm. Yeah. And your your mind is making something out of nothing. It's making worry out of nothing. And it's obsessing over it. And it's causing you not to be aware of the lovely invitation that's available now, which is a sense of presence, because you're conscious, yeah. It's not nothing special. You already fulfilled all the requirements for a sense of presence. You're conscious. You can be conscious of that presence. But you can't be conscious as the presence when you're in what's not happening. Because nothing's happening now. Yeah. So now the beautiful thing is there's something called what's happening. It's got one quality what's not happening doesn't have. And is the quality is that it's happening. You may not like it that much, but you can't override the fact that this is happening. (laughs) (laughs) Now, that one little quality can override all of all of the qualities of what's not happening. Yeah, millions of things can be happening in what's not happening, but only one thing's happening right now. But this, that one thing, can override all the millions of things about what's not happening. Yeah, because it's happening. So. If you're here in what's happening, you have the ability to recognize something about what's not happening, which is it's not happening. And that's the solution. If I notice my head is dwelling in next Friday, I don't want to get therapy for what's not happening. 
I really don't. I don't want to pay someone $80 to talk about what's not happening. I just want to have the recognition it's not happening. As soon as I recognize it's not happening, my attention and interest leaves that and now comes here. And that's called being alive. And you may find that being alive is more than enough. As long as things aren't going terrible here. It's quite nice just to be alive and conscious of it. So, in the what's happening, it is the antidote to what's not happening. The mental realm of self is what's not happening. The spiritual realm is what's happening. When you're here, you have an immunity to there. If you're there, you have no immunity to there. False evidence will appear real to you. It will do it every time. Because you don't have anything to gauge it with. You're just going to take whatever the mind serves up, you're going to take it like, oh yes, let's check this out. But if you're here, you'll have an immunity to there. But you can't, I don't believe you can be here as a self. I really don't. I mean, I tried for years in AA until something came over me and I realized self, it's sort of like if I believe I'm a body, yes, and I believe this is Paul, and I think about spirituality, the only way I can think about spirituality is something this is going to do to get something from. So it's going to be like, I'm going to look at the program of AA, and I'm going to say, all right, this is my spiritual path. Yeah. I'm going to graft this on me. I'm going to make me more spiritual. I'm going to make a body more spiritual. It's very difficult. Yeah. So I'm going to practice all this stuff. And it doesn't, it doesn't seem to really stick, does it? You've got to be vigilant every second of the day and writing constant inventories and doing a lot of fucking work because it seems to fall off all the time. The spirit doesn't seem to bond. Yeah. But maybe, just maybe, if you entertained you weren't a body, And if you entertain you're not a body, that's actually being spirit. You would see that you don't really need to become spiritual. You are already spiritual. All you need to do is see that you're not this, and you're already that. You don't have to do anything to become spiritual. You are already spiritual. All you've got to do is maybe, this is how it worked for me, I just realized I wasn't this mental projection called selfing, and immediately, when I wasn't that, I was all of what I am, which was conscious, without having to do fucking anything. Yeah? I mean, most people's activity is to become unconscious. They're not trying to really become conscious, because <laughs> consciousness, man, one thing is it's on constantly. <laughs> it's not a break, <laughs> you know, because you're awake. <laughs> Now, it may take a little while to get used to it, because most of us have been unconscious for quite a while. Yeah. And the mind likes it. It likes to be out to lunch, in a lot of ways. But once you get a feel of it, then, it gives you that sense that you've been looking for by running around like crazy, and trying to get all these things, because you believe if I get this and do this and have that, it's going to translate into me feeling really happy, joyous, and free. But maybe you're the source of happy, joyous, and free. Your own nature may be the source of that. Yeah? That you may not need anything to be happy, joyous, and free. You may be happy, joyous, and free to begin with. Yeah? 
just could be possibly true. And then you would see that you have it by giving it away, like in AA it says. You have... Have you ever met a drug dealer that practiced that principle? They had coke by giving it away? No, I never did. No coke dealer I ever went to said, oh yeah, I have all this coke by giving it away. No, they made you pay for it. But in fact, this is what it's like. You have it by giving it away. You're so rich, there's no need to build a bank around it, yes? You can't lose it by offering it to others. Yeah? You can lose you can lose interest in yourself and gain interest in others, and you won't lose any joy in that deal. You'll actually gain in a lot of joy. Yeah? Because it'll be the transfer from that idea of being a self to being what the self was always looking for. I found the first thing that happened to me in AA was I, the first thing that happened is I came to meetings, I listened to people share, and I sat there after a couple of months. And you know what we do when at meetings, we share what our thoughts and feelings and reactions to life, don't we? You know, everyone comes in and starts sharing how they think and feel and what they did. And so I was sitting there listening for a couple of months. And after a couple months, I could only come to two conclusions. Either all these people have my thoughts and my feelings and my reactions to life, or they're not my thoughts, my feelings, and my reactions. Yeah. And I noticed that I wasn't identifying with who you were. I was identifying with what took you over. It was the same thing that had taken me over. Alcoholism. Yeah. Like a parasite. It had taken me over and it had used me for transportation. And when you shared, I identified. And if a normal person came in and heard someone sharing at a meeting, they would be totally aghast. I can't believe they're sharing that in public, but we're all laughing. Why is that? They don't identify what we do. But what are we identifying with? I'm not identifying with, because I'm from New York and you're from Sweden, I'm not identifying with who you are at all. But I identify with what's taking you over. Because the same thing took me over. The parasite called alcoholism. And it's like a mental parasite. You can't take an x-ray and find it in your body. Okay? You can't. It's in the mental process. It's in how we think and perceive. It's the... It's, it's what causes evidence, to, false evidence to appear real. It's the one that causes a really lousy idea to sound good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He said the story about the ant and the fungus. Oh, the ant and the fungus. <laughs> I even have a better one. You ever hear of candida? You ever hear that? There's a well, let's say there's a fungus in your body. In America, a lot of people suffer from it. It's called candida, and it, it likes to. Its fuel is like flour, like this white flour and desserts and stuff. That's what it feeds on. But it can't shop. Yeah. It can't leave your body and go to the store. So it has to get its what it wants. It has to convince you to get it. Yeah? So it actually... Yeah. Yeah. Actually, it, it, it jacks into the thinking and it puts a little thought in there. I'd really like to have a bagel right now or some big white flowery donut. Yeah? And us being so self-centeredness 
the movement of the, and the orders of the candida, we think they're our ideas, yes? And then we go and eat, and we may have a lifelong story about how we love these flowery desserts, and it was all placed in our head by this fungus in our body, because it can't go out and shop. The only way it can get what it wants is through you. So it has to convince you that you want it, yeah? So this story that I saw on the, this documentary is about this another mushroom, and it sends spores out, and the spores land on ants, yeah? And then the spore burrows into the ant and, and moves to the brain, and it takes over the ant. And it has the ant move to a dark, like, little place underneath a leaf. And once it gets there, the, the, the uh, fungus breaks out of the brain, out of that head, and grows a mushroom. So it uses the ant for transportation. It can't get to where it wants to go. It's a spore. You can't walk around. So it lands on a, on a vehicle, a creature, jacks into it, and then tells it to go there. Then it kills it and then grows. So, <laughs> didn't it feel like you were possessed when you're out there? Yeah. I sure felt like it. So let's say this thing, this parasite, alcoholism, wants its fuel, its fuel, which is alcohol and drugs, let's say. Yeah. So let's say, all right, Monday morning you go to work, everything's fine. But your head starts telling you everyone's out to get you at the job, yeah? You know the boss is going to fire you by Friday. All this stuff starts happening. So this evidence starts appearing, this false evidence, but you're believing it, yeah? So by Tuesday, you're very uncomfortable at the workplace, and you're thinking, I think they're all in on it. Everyone's talking about you at the lunch. <laughs> and so Tuesday night, you call some friends, and they agree with you. Yeah, I think they're out to get you, and you got this whole story going. Wednesday, you don't show up. Yeah. Thursday, you don't show up. Thursday night, they call you, and they fire you. Yeah. So now you believe you are right, and then the mind brings you to the point where we call it in America, fuck it. Yeah. That fuck it, it says, oh, fuck it. And as soon as you believe, fuck it, it gives you a solution, doesn't it? Let's get loaded. Let's sleep with my best friend's girlfriend. Yeah, sounds like a good idea. Let's rob that liquor store. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah. The fuck it is when you've given up to the parasite. The parasite takes you over. It's like, it's like you're like a horse, and you're in the stable, let's say. And then you see the jockey, and the jockey has ridden you before. So the horse knows, no, I don't want that jockey on me. It's like, whoa, no, it's kicking, kicking. But the jockey goes, oh, don't worry, it's going to be different this time. Don't worry, we're going to have a lot of fun. You're going, no, no. But then it, then it just gets, and so it's talking at you for a while, doesn't it? And then it gets to a point where it puts its leg on you, and now it's talking as you, doesn't it? So now you had a little confusion. I don't think I'm going to make that call. Now you're making the call. Right to the dealer. Now you're right. It's all, all broke loose. You've been taken over. The parasite has jacked into the thought system. It's put in a couple of nice thoughts, convinced you, fuck it. And then it leads you to a solution to that, fuck it. Let's get loaded. And so what happens? So there's its fuel. and But it can't, it doesn't have an arm. Alcoholism. Alcoholism does not have an arm. It doesn't have a lip. It doesn't have a mouth, but it needs that energy. Yeah? So it convinces you, so you give your arm to it, and you go, oh yeah. Against all this evidence, it's probably a stupid idea. Yeah? And then 
And then once you start drinking it, the genie's out of the bottle. Yeah? All shit hits. <laughs> as soon as it gets its fuel, you're on a run, aren't you? Maybe it'll last a week, maybe a month, maybe ten months. But you'll be run into the fucking ground. And it won't kill you, will it? It's not that... Because a parasite needs your life. It's not going to kill you. Have you ever seen alcoholics? They're, on, they're like terminators. You can't kill them. <laughs> they got no teeth. They're limping. They got sores, but they, they're still alive. We got people where I live. There's, I've seen them for 20 years. The same people living on the streets. They're thriving in a way. You can't kill them. You can shoot them. They still live. The parasite isn't going to let go of its only host. It's, <laughs> so your life isn't going to be good when it takes you over. Because you'll be wishing you were dead. Yeah? You'd be wishing you were fucking over. And you'll keep on keeping on. So this parasite called alcoholism, or if you want to call it self-centeredness, it's the same thing. Alcoholism is just uh, an extreme example. Actually, it's a very good example for people to learn from. But see, you separate yourself from us because you think you're different. You're not an alcoholic. But if you watched alcoholics, you'd just see your mind in like uh, an extreme view. It'd be easier to see. But, so there you go. What's the solution to that parasite? You need something powered than greater, greater than it, yeah? And that's what we found, haven't we? We found a power of greater than self. So we make a decision to turn our life over to that power. And whatever concept you have, it's just, an, it's just a, a temporary concept until it becomes more and more secure in your own gut what it is. You know, I'm not here to tell you what it is. You'll find out. Yeah? But you'll have a God of your own understanding. But after a certain period of time, I ran into that. I don't want a God of my own understanding. Because my understanding of God will put a very small frame on that power. I will not allow it to do what it can do to me, or for me, or as me, because of what I, will, I will confine it with the frame. I want to know, I want a God of its own understanding. In other words, I want to learn by living what that God has in store for me. Yeah, it's really incredible. But, so here, the dilemma with us in AA is, all right, perhaps there's a better way. Everyone's agreement on that. And you're going to make a decision to turn your will and your life over to that care of that power. But if the root of the problem is identification as self, yeah, the same identification that you were living under as an addict, you'll be living under as a recovered addict. Yeah? So the self will be practicing a solution to itself. Of course, if you apply, if you apply the problem to the solution, it's going to diminish the effects of the solution. If self claims your program, the effects of the program are going to be sorely, sorely diminished. But if you entertain I'm not that, then an incredible radical shift can occur. But it cannot occur to a self. It's like if you have an epiphany, you know, ever hear of an epiphany? Is that the word, word do they have in Switzerland? Uh, Sweden. Epiphany is like a... Yeah. It can last a while, and maybe it was just a minute or so, but something occurs, and yeah. now what happens 
let's say that an epiphany occurs. First of all, you never make a reservation for an epiphany. You don't know it's coming. Yeah, it's just you're going around and suddenly, bing, something happens and blah, blah, blah. What occurs, though, is once the conditional mind, the selfing, recognizes it, it goes like this. It goes, I, Paul, just had this incredible spiritual experience. That isn't it. See, it neutered it. It neutered what the epiphany was actually informing you of by interpreting it by me. The same thing with the solutions of AA. The solutions of AA are not for the self. They are actually about from. Freedom from it, not for it. Yeah. Freedom for self is another form of bondage. It's freedom from self. Yeah. Please relieve me of the bondage to self. It's freedom from self. To me, the freedom from self is I'm not that. Once I entertain I'm not that, if you entertain, see, if you believe you're a self, you'll, you can't entertain being free of it. You, the best you can do is get therapy for it, maybe socialize it, maybe you can have a relationship that lasts a month, maybe, or something like that. <laughs> Try to minimize, you know, down, harm reduction, basically. Your harm reduction gets better. Yeah? But if you entertain I'm not that, the mind can entertain being free of it. It's just like if I had a tumor, let's say a big one right here, sticking out of my side, and I never, I thought it was me, so I never entertained I could be free of it, so I go to tailors and they'd make special shirts for me, you know, this big, and I'd like an armrest, I'd be driving armrest here. And I started, I started living around this big tumor until one day someone said, hey, you know, Paul, you could have that removed. Now, I had never entertained that. But as soon as I hear it, I go, what? Oh, yeah, that's not you. You can have it removed. So immediately, I get an, you know, make an appointment, and it gets removed. That's what it's like. If you identify that self, you can entertain being free of it. But if you entertain I'm not that, immediately your mind can entertain truly being free of it, and I mean truly being free of it, where its effects diminish. You're powered and motivated and directed by a force greater than it. Yeah. And you'll know the tree by the fruits. You'll just travel lighter through life. Your circumstances may not change. If you're supposed to get sick, you will. Maybe you know, lose a job. But you'll travel lighter through all your circumstances. Because you've woken up. You've actually found... You, to me, I found out about the problem by the solution. Yeah, I read about self, but I realized how it defeated me by having having it solved. Yeah? When I entertained I wasn't that, I got the relief that only a solution could bring. Yeah? Something long-lasting. Where It says in our book on page 84, I think, it says, you will cease fighting everyone and anything. Yes? You can never do that as a self. It's impossible. You'll be placed in a position of neutrality with no thought or effort on your part. The problem will not exist for you. That's a pretty damn one, good one. Eh? Can you imagine? That's a damn good solution that the problem doesn't exist for you anymore. I mean, that's a solution worth its name. Yeah? And that's a living uh, state here. You can live in that state. 
as if the problem does not exist for you anymore. You're truly free from the effects of alcoholism. But not as a self. How could self be free from the effects it's making? Yeah? No matter how many times, if the roots are in a field, no matter how many times you cut the crop down, it's going to root up again. Yes? Self is not what's going to bring freedom. It's the absence of self is the freedom. Yeah? And the absence of self is just based on your interest and attention. When your interest and attention, when you entertain I'm not that, you'll lose interest in it. That's the freedom from the obsession itself. You'll just lose in interest in the obsession. You'll just, it's like, just like you, I'd be hearing it's about you. I, have, I could care less what happens to you. I could care less what's going to happen to this imaginary self. sound like you, don't they? Don't they sound like your voice? But why are they your voice? They're just coming from the vocal cords of a body. But there's an identification as this body. So you think the sound of this body is your voice. <laughs> it always roots back to the act of identifying. Yeah, that's the whole movement of the mind, the mental process. It produces a product called a self. A you. Your mind buys it, and now it becomes you, and then its activity of obsessing over it reinforces that trance every day. And so it produces tons of false evidence, and it keeps appearing real to you. So you keep finding, trying to find solutions to an imaginary problem. Why do you think they're not working for you? It doesn't matter how many solutions you apply if the problem is imaginary, the only solution is recognizing it's imaginary. That's the only solution to it. Every other solution promotes the problem. Because if you apply a solution to an imaginary problem, you believe the problem's fucking real. That's the dilemma. The solution is, this is an imaginary problem. I need do nothing. That's the fucking solution. 
I need actually to do nothing. I don't need one more something in my life. Let's try nothing for a while. Abandon yourself. It doesn't mean abandon you. Abandon the self to this power. Surrender it. It's just a mental activity. When you abandon yourself, the attention and interest that seems to go with it will slowly come back but not bringing self with it. You will abandon it, and your interest and attention, which makes your life, will come back to you. And now your interest and attention will be distributed by something greater than self. And you'll know the tree by its roots. You'll travel a certain different way. If you don't like it, go back to the old tree. It's undeniable. You don't need an authority to tell you when your gut gets back. You know what's going on. It's it's obvious. Super clear. But this is not a draft or a conscription. It's an invitation. It's just, I don't care what you do. You you have the freedom, whatever you want to do. But I'm entitled to share this. One reason is you're from my tribe. I I know you know hell. I know you know the mental hell that alcoholism produces. It's an exquisite form of suffering. To make so much suffering out of nothing is incredible. It's like a great miracle worker. Really, to produce hell out of nothing is a pretty big miracle. Can you imagine if you entertained something that was actually true? (laughs) The power that would occur. I mean, you can make nothing something out of nothing. Can you imagine if you really turn that ability to entertain to something that's true, like spirit, let's say, if you want to call it spirit, consciousness, Buddha nature, whatever. But turning your attention on that, see what happens. I'm pulling out all my good ones now. One more, let me think. Let me see. This one I really like. In AA, one of the big things is surrender, right? It's like one of the highest experiences in our society, is surrender. Now, I didn't know what surrender was. It had to happen to me. And it, like, I, it happened to me at a regular day at the office. I was just trying to survive to get another shot that night, yeah? But a, mo- a moment of clarity happened, and some sort of a portal opened, and for about five minutes... That self thing stopped, and a solution appeared in my life. Something was set in motion, and that night, out of strange coincidence, I ended up at my first AA meeting. I've been sober ever since. Yeah. It wasn't, but I had been run over by cars, I've been shot at. None of those had provoked a surrender. But that moment in this trailer park, I don't know if you know what an RV park is. It was a moment where something just collapsed. The self thing just came to its halt, and some solution came in. And that solution now has been alive for 22 years. In just five minutes of of something opening, a solution of 22 years has appeared. Can you imagine if you turned your attention to that? Surrender yourself to that. You don't have to surrender. Surrender yourself. Surrender that self to that. It knows what to do with it. Yeah. It will dimin- 
diminish its effect and potency. You'll be able to see false evidence as false evidence. Literally. It's like you'll be able, you'll see the blueprints of your own disasters instead of being living in the disastrous house and having to get rid of the house when it's already built. You want to see things before they're built, yeah? See it. See it before things take form. Because it's much more difficult to get out of something after it takes form. Yeah? You know what it's like. When you do something wrong, you have bureaucracy here. It's like being on fly paper, yeah? you got to go to court, got probation offices. You get stuck here. Just from one minute of a mistake, you have months of pain. I know people in America who killed someone when they were blacked out. They're in jail for the rest of their life and they don't even know what happened. They can't remember that they killed someone. Yet their whole life is now determined by an event they don't even have any consciousness of. (laughs) It's incredible. So, So, this idea of surrender, if you look at it, you don't mind, I'll just keep going. This idea of surrender, when I looked at it, what really happens is you forget that you're powerless, which is the basis of our program, is the admittance of powerlessness. You forget it, and the power that's moving through you, your mind claims once again. The selfing thinks it's about me. And then usually stuff happens, and you get whacked, if you're lucky, and then you're brought to a moment of surrender, and what happens is you just admit you're powerless again. And when you admit you're powerless... You feel power, don't you? When you, the only time you experience powerlessness is when you exert power, don't you? When I when I when I exert power, I experience frustration, shit like that. People aren't doing what I want. Things aren't going my way. Yes. When I stay in the powerlessness, I feel power all the time. Yeah, it's trippy. Yeah. So I admit my powerless. I have tons of power. I don't admit my powers. I, I experience powerlessness. People aren't doing what I want. Da da da. They seem to have power over me. Yeah? What would happen if you just stayed in the admittance of powerlessness? You would just stay surrendered. It would become a state. It wouldn't be coming an event that you may not happen because you could go out and not surrender. You can stay surrendered. Just stay in the admittance of powerlessness. Yeah? And it's incredible when things that were experiences turn into states you know, for your life. Because those are really reliable. So. Basically, because when I would be playing, 
that's all that was happening. Yeah, because I didn't have an idea that I about next week, so I didn't. I wasn't worried will I be playing next week because I didn't have any idea of time yet. And my mother, I didn't. She could have been usually fat and super ugly. The love was just there because I had no idea of beauty and ugliness yet. My head hadn't formulated into the the self-centeredness yet. And there was a lot of wonder and awe. And that's what happens. You lose those qualities of being a child when you grow into this self-centeredness point of view. Yeah? And when that gets dismissed, that, that returns, that wonder and awe. Things that were... That sense of being here because you don't see there as an option. You only know. You can only go there by thought. Yeah? You see it clearly. So you're here... Because there's no entertaining, you could be there. Just like when you were a kid, because you didn't have a there then when you were a kid. I didn't have thoughts about, oh, we should have a better house. I didn't really have many houses to compare. You know, the house was just fine. I wasn't in a bad situation. It was just fine. Yeah? There was no, but it could be better. None of that was going on. It's like sort of returning to that. You can only go there in thought. Everything else is here. You're seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching is here. These are your anchors. It's called conscious contact. The head has tried to claim the conscious contact, and so the story of seeing now is I'm seeing you. That's the story my mind gives me. But there's the act of seeing that's always going on. That's the conscious contact. I believe we were more rooted in that when we were kids the conscious contact than the narrative of who I was seeing and what, this and that. It's a return, in a sense, to that, where the conscious contact becomes very important to you and the narrative becomes less important to you. And there's no work, it just works that way. Somehow, you just lose the interest in all there and you're just here. And it's amazing when you entertain... There's no option but being here. How here is okay. <laughs> it's quite cool in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, at what point did you work the steps? Like after this day where yeah, your epiphany and your moment. Oh, no, no. Then, no. No, no. And then you came to the rooms and from that day you didn't drink. So when did you work the steps? Oh, as soon as I got in. As soon as you got in. So you never had really the experience of time without. But still, in that state... No, no, no. I was, uh, when I got to the program, it was a done deal. Yeah. I, had, I was done. And so, uh, I, I liked it. Yeah, sure, yeah. And I followed suggestions. You know, I sat in the front and I gave my attention to people and I had three commitments to, a week and I shared and I said prayers and I did everything and did service, a lot of service. And uh, for me, in the, in in the form of AA, the first year is the most important because that's when the habits are made. And you're basically, your life's based on habits. So I got the right habits in place. And then after the habits are in place, then a lot of stuff can be built on them. Yeah. Once you entertain, are clear about the first step, too. You know? Not just the powerlessness over alcohol, but the unmanageability. Like I found, for me... My life was unmanageable because I was managing it. That's really what I came up to. I couldn't believe how much managing was going on. You would think that it looking that shitty, 
there'd be a lack of management. But I was extremely, my mind was extremely managing my fucking wrecked life. <laughs> I was busy all day trying to run the show, even though the show sucked. So when I had the chance to give it up, what a freaking relief, you know? And so the idea of that was framed in surrendering it to something greater than you, yeah, greater than self. However it was, it worked for me. I got a great relief when I started to realize. And the thing for me, I respond when I'm identified with something bigger than myself. I was willing and I did a lot more because it was about AA than me. I wouldn't have done half the shit. But AA brings the best out of me. It just does. It's something I believe has saved a lot of people's asses. Taking people out of hell. And uh, I have a lot of reverence for that. And, you know, that's our job in a sense. Is to... uh, assist others in achieving sobriety. Yeah. And service, as you know, for uh, for an alcoholic mentality, service is very important. Those opportunities to get out of self until you get used to living out of that domain, it's really helpful. Yeah, so where you get a free sample of what it's like to be out of self. You know. That's really, see, like to me, with service... I would feel a sense of availability to people. Yeah, that felt unusual. I was available to you. Well, usually I, well, I was was available to this. Yeah, I was available to you. And when I felt that availability, I sense a presence. We used to like call it the God or whatever, spirit. But after this happened a lot of times, you know, I go back into my old head and then I'd have to do service to get out of it and then I'd feel available again and feel be of service. I mean, sense the presence. But then I entertained I was the presence. Not Paul, but that presence. And that presence is always available. And to me, being always available, you're of service. That becomes your nature. Yeah. What do you mean by, by service? You're of service. You're like, you know, you're available to other people. You're holding the space. You're present. That, to me, is real service. For me, the highest service is for someone to sit in the certainty of what they are, because it reflects what I am, yeah, which is spirit. Yeah. Someone who's very clear, it's they're doing an incredible service without doing anything. They're just sitting in the knowledge of spirit, which kindles it or... Tr- tickles it in you because you have that knowledge. It may not be obvious, but it's available. Yeah. That's what someone does for me is they they reflect that certainty of spirit. It reinforces it in you. Yeah. I'm stripping. I turn this off.